The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. This is Nehemiah 1, chapters, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, o Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the words that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Emily. Downtown Church, how you doing this morning? You know that he loves you, right? You know that he is a good and mighty God. Last time I dropped this, so I'm not going to drop it. He is a good and mighty God. There is none like him. I like to say that there is none like him in particular because there are so many things that compete for him. There are so many things that remind us of how much we are not loved. And as that, ser- as that word, as the, I can preach the whole sermon, I mean the whole song of how he loves us because it said the afflictions eclipse by his glory. Oh, y'all right, man. The afflictions eclipse, eclipse, excuse me, by his glory. That is 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, where it says the light momentary afflictions. My God. It's not even comparable to the weight, the eternal weight of his glory. What we go through in this lifetime, right now, has not compared to what he has in store for us. And that is something that calls praise to his name. Amen. God, give God glory if you will, because he is a good and mighty God and there is none like him. He is the one that can make our afflictions light. Uh, just a quick note. Um, we have a, vi- a visiting church with us this morning. Avenue, uh, will y'all just stand up and just wave and, and shout out to everybody. Uh, Pastor Tim Johnson and First Lady Gina Johnson. Y'all remember them. Y'all remember them. 
show them some love. They're coming out. Uh, it is so good to see God multiplying in our city and doing the work of the ministry, and that is what they're doing here. Uh, and they will be having services during Easter and looking forward to be uh, to launching sometime soon. So uh, uh, I'll probably say something that I won't post today, but it don't matter. Uh, but we praying for we praying for them. We, we we are all striving together. Amen. Hey, what, y'all may not have recognized. I've been impressed over the last two weekends, and I just want I like to brag uh, on the people of God. I like to brag on my family. Amen. Can I brag on y'all just for a moment? Uh, we we had last weekend our own Aaron uh, Cole who uh, did the whole interactive theater. Uh, she has her own company, Art with a Heartbeat, and so they did the whole Jubilee Interactive Theater, which was incredible. And then we have uh, incredible singers that were in the choir. I, I, Kyle Crabb, wherever he is, he just jumped in the choir. Michael Rose, y'all know how he screamed all over the place. He was in the choir. Uh, our, own, our own Adriana, she was there. Bishop Reeves, he was he was there. God is just using... Uh, uh, oh, y- y'all didn't kiss it. Y'all, didn't, y- y'all caught that one. Uh, God is using the body. And then this weekend, uh, you see... Michael Rhodes, uh, Sarah Lockridge, Steckles with the collective. Uh, you see uh, our own folks here at Claiborne Reborn. A lot of the people of God using their gifts. And I was just encouraged by the Urban Summit because you've seen so many young entrepreneurs and thinkers. Uh, and this is the thing. It's diverse. Our leaders are diverse. What we've seen there was diverse. That is what we want to be for this city. We want that to be intentional. We want to say that outright. And it was encouraging to see young folks trying to do something for this city. And I couldn't I couldn't be more encouraged by the people that were sitting soaking in what they heard and having uh, encouragement to want to start their own businesses and want to do something for the city. So that is that is all glory to God for what he's doing through the people uh, of downtown church. Amen. So we have incredible leaders here, and we come to a text where we see an incredible leader as well. His name is Nehemiah, uh, who God uses to help rebuild Jerusalem. Uh, so essentially, he is just like uh, everybody this past weekend, seeking, trying to have effective, meaningful change in the city of Memphis. Uh, he wants to have uh, that change in by rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. But before we dive in all the way in God's word, please uh, join me in prayer. God, we love you. Not because uh, we can conjure it up ourselves. It's because you first loved us. And God, you remind us that you're a good, good father. That is who you are. And we are beloved children of a good father. And so we thank you for being a shepherd that loves us and cares for us. One that we can hear his voice and run to, to for comfort and protection. And so, God, I pray that your word gives it this morning, gives your people comfort and protection. It reminds them that they can always go to you in moments of prayer, moments in which they even have questions. And for those who are here this morning who question you and don't know who you are, I pray, God, that you begin to answer through their word. Use me, Lord, as a mouthpiece. Help me, God, to preach and speak to your people in a prophetic way. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said. This week has, though we've seen a lot with our folks, it's been tough. Seeing what happened in Parkland, Florida, where a gunman goes into a high school and kills 
17 students. Uh, it caused so much fear and anxiety for many around us, even in Memphis. You can read in the commercial appeal, they're trying to figure out ways to protect our students uh, because there is a, as a way in which we don't know how to protect them. We don't have effective ways yet to, to make sure everybody is covered. We also see in the news a ton of uh, issues with political strife and a ton of issues with people uh, in uh, in the economic aspect where just this past week there was the march and the fight for 15. And you see also in the news, and you've heard us even uh, apply it to where we've been preaching, the Me Too movement with sexual harassment after sexual harassment coming out uh, because so many people uh, have been, women have been uh, sexually harassed in the workplace. And you have joblessness, generational poverty, the drug crisis. Uh, it's not just opioids. It's been crack. It's been been heroin. It's been it's been marijuana. It, it has been uh, a crisis in our nation and in our communities for a very long time. And even human sex trafficking issues that we see here in the city of Memphis and we see around the world. There is just so much that can overwhelm us. The refugee crisis. Our brothers and sisters who are suffering through uh, trying to figure out what's going on with DACA and the immigration reform. All of these things seem to be compounding and overwhelming. It's as as if we were to put it in what they were doing at the time, there was one part of the wall that was broken down, and as they were trying to rebuild one part, the other part of the wall was being torn down. And so it's this effort as if you're trying to work earnestly to build something, but yet the other side is being torn down. That can be overwhelming. And it can cause us not to necessarily want to strategize. Well, it can cause us to want to strategize and trying to figure out a way to break down uh, all of these issues and try to attack them. But one of the things that we can often not do is pray. One of the things that we can we can allow our hearts to feel so overwhelmed that we think that prayer is not taking action. We see prayer as being passive at times. But I would like to argue that prayer is action. That in order to restore our communities, in order to restore our city and our nation and our world, the first thing that we must do is go before God. Because if we were just to try to conjure up things by our own ingenuity and think of it by doing it ourselves and have no biblical precedence, no foundation, and not even trying to talk to God about it, we miss the one who can actually change these situations. Prayer also allows us to see, no matter if you are a believer or not an unbeliever, there's a reality in which prayer is a transcendent reality where you know that you believe in something that will change this circumstance. It is. I think you think about so many people who give glory to God and will not be professing Christians. Even in moments in which they don't necessarily believe in God, they know there's a transcendent reality that can answer and has the solutions to the problems of our society. But here it is. I think in Nehemiah, what we see that we can relate to is that God gives us gospel intuitions. And through gospel intuitions, as I would like to say, what we do is we act upon it by prayer. We act upon what God has placed before us, what we see on the news, what we read in the paper, how we flip through social media. We don't act upon it by simply being disgusted, but we fall to our knees and we pray and we look to God. 
I just want to know if you were in the room, just three or four people. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Help a brother out. So if we hear news and these issues, we witness them. Again, gospel intuition should lead us to prayer. Meaning that the wisdom that God gives us in understanding and discerning should call us to call on His name. And so when we look at our text this morning, this is what we see Nehemiah does. But let me give you just a quick background. As you, If you're just joining us, we've been going through uh, the book of Ezra. We just completed that last week. And now we are in the book of Nehemiah. And in your English Bible, you will see that both of those are two different books. But however, in the Hebrew Bible and in the Bible that the, uh, that the uh, apostles were reading at the particular time that was translated into Greek, they were reading it as one entire book. And as they did so, um, you, or as you can see, the narrative just kind of continued. The storyline doesn't break as we see it in two different books. But what we see is we look forward or we move forward 13 years. And so now we are in 445 B.C. And King Artaxerxes, who we've seen in Ezra 4, is now reigning, still reigning, so to speak. And so as he is reigning at this particular time, you can see, you can remember when he actually stopped the work uh, for the uh, for the Israelites and by making a decree. And so we can kind of see and understand, have insight as to when the brother of Nehemiah and the other brothers and sisters, brothers come up to tell Nehemiah what happens, he's reflecting back to Ezra 4 as the work has been stopped to some degree. But who is Nehemiah? That's one of the questions we have to ask this morning before we dive into uh, the four points that I have is that Nehemiah is the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes. And so he is he has a trusted, highly trusted position in this kingdom and this emperor, uh, I mean, in this empire. And as his responsibility is to taste the wine before it is given to the king, so that it would not, so make sure it's not poisoned, right? And so this is, for some reason, I don't know how he got this job. And this can kind of give you insight as to Jew, when Jews were taken captive, a Jewish person who's taken captive is given a highly a high position like this. I mean, that can go into the context of how they seen captivity and what that looked like at that particular time. But he has this position because King Xerxes was actually killed by his own cupbearer be uh, due to poison. And so uh, Nehemiah was actually trusted. He had a lot of influence uh, amongst the amongst the king, and so he couldn't necessarily leave his job because the king ate every single day. It wasn't a day that the king was not going to, it wasn't like the king was fast. Um, and so he couldn't leave his post. But the brothers, the brother, his brother and his friends that came to visit him, remember when he asked them, you, you, I just want to put this in context. It's almost as if he hasn't seen them in so long. And then when he sees them, he's asking about what's going on in Jerusalem. How's the work going? Uh, they rebuilt it. The, uh, they were working on rebuilding the temple. I mean, what's going on with the wall? How are my friends? How are my family doing? Uh, can you tell me about so-and-so? It's almost like going to a family reunion. Like, uh, can you, girl, can you tell me about how so-and-so doing? And then you, she tell you about how so-and-so doing, but then it's gossip, and then you talk about how it is. Y'all see where I'm going. But the, 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 the reality is, is that 
as he is, as he is talking to them, I mean, it's, it, it, we can also translate it to talking to our brothers and sisters who come and visit us uh, from the mission field, and you're trying to catch up, catch up with them. How how is how's the church doing in Buenos Aires? How how's the how's the church doing over in Europe? How's it doing in Jakarta? How's it doing over in North Africa? What's what's going on? I, I really want to know how the brothers and sisters are doing. Are they holding on to the faith? Or are they, are they are they preaching God's word? So you, this is what Nehemiah is, is trying to to understand. He's trying. This is the context that you have here. But then they they say to Nehemiah because they they respond to him. He asks concerning the Jews who escaped, who survived the exile, survived the exile. So that says that people actually died during this particular time. So this was heartbreaking to know that people were killed and scattered all over the place because God, the power in God calling his people is that they're collectively a nation for God. Richard kind of hit on that with Genesis 12, 1 through 3 last week. And that's important for us to hold through as we understand where they are and what Nehemiah is saying. And so, But he's devastated, y'all. He's devastated. And as he's devastated because he's, they respond to him, the remnant and when you look at verse 2, the remnant there in uh, the providence who, who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Jerusalem's wall is broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. It's devastating. He's devastated. I mean, it's, it's, it's me getting to the point of just hearing the news and looking at the media and seeing these things. I mean, it's devastating. It's overwhelming. It's, God, when, when can we get a break? When, 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 will we, when, you, when will you just allow us to breathe for a moment? Nehemiah is hearing this and he knows, what can I do? I'm with the king. He, he may not let me leave. What, what is it that I can do at this particular moment? And so when you look at Ezra 4, 21 through 23, you see, is it looking at, because King Artaxerxes makes this imperial decree. And he's like, stop the work. And, and this report gets back. And so the people are discouraged, y'all. And y'all remember what we said a couple of weeks about discouragement? It's God's tool. I mean, it's, it's the devil's tool. It's what he uses over and over again amongst Christians. What am I saying? Just imagine if there was an in-government government funding for the efforts that we need for the city. Just imagine if they were cut off. Imagine if there was no MTR. Imagine if there was no streets ministry. Imagine if there was no advanced Memphis. Imagine if there was no urban summit. Imagine if there wasn't uh, people in their own congregation not looking to start new charter schools and start new efforts in our city. Imagine if there was no financial aid for the college student. I know y'all. I know y'all that said college students. Wherever y'all are, you know you. Amen. Right? See, amen, college students. Imagine if there was no financial aid or, or more schools were closing down. Imagine if the economic initiatives for our city, they continue to stop. It, it, this would make us feel devastated. Nehemiah, at this particular moment, is devastated. But what does he do? Our passage demonstrates how gospel into what gospel intuition looks like. Nehemiah responds by praying. He shows us what we need to do. We need to have in prayer a heart of compassion. We need to have in prayer lamentation. We need to have in prayer 
a way to adore our covenant God. We need to have in prayer confession personally and communally. We need to have in prayer a time in which we remember God's promises. Amen. I know I was just trying to chop down a lot, but here it is. is first of all, we see that we need to have in prayer. What we need is a heart of confession. I mean, a heart of uh, compassion and lament. And the reason being is because we look at Nehemiah right when he, we see after he hears the news that Jerusalem's walls are broken down. This was in essence somewhat a physical breakdown, but also a spiritual breakdown for the people of God. They are being destroyed in the, in the sense that they don't have any protection. They need the wall. Where they were to go to worship, they needed it to be built because who did they need to be around? God, His presence. We need His presence. But what does Nehemiah do? As soon as he hears the news, he sat down. He wept. He mourned. He continued fasting. Participle. Continued fasting. Continued praying. But what did he do? He sat down. I think this touches a lot of us because many of us in this room, we are about action. We want things to work out. We want to see solutions. We want to answer the problem. Nehemiah was the same exact way. He was decisive when it came to action. He was strategic when it came to plan. But what did he do? He sat down. And as he sat down, he understood that that moment of sitting down was a moment of humility. It was a moment of direct impact into his spiritual life as to not take quick action, but to move towards God. Think about Matthew 20, 11, 28 through 29, when you see where Jesus says, come to me, as he's talking to the laborers. Come to me, all you who labor. If, if, if you are stressed and overwhelmed, I, those words should ring true to you that come to me. This is what Nehemiah is doing as he sits down. He's going to God. If you have issues on your job and you think it is tough, you need to go to Jesus. He's saying, come to me. And if you are having issues in the classroom with your students or with administration, I want you to hear the words, come to me. And also, if you are experiencing economic injustice and inequality in various different spaces in your life, you want to hear Jesus say, come to me. That refrain allows us to have a level of comfortability. You are fearful about the next decision that you're going to make. You don't need to have confidence in yourself. You need to go to Jesus. Because what he says is that if you come to me, you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In the moments in which we go to God, we learn from Him. We can skip past the learn and just think about if we just give it over to God. But think about this for a moment. If you stop, sit down, and you pray before God, what can you learn from Him? How can He direct you? How can He guide you? What he, 
How does it cause you to be more humble in the decisions that you make? How does it cause you to have confidence? I believe that godly confidence is not how is not in the actions that you take. Godly confidence is trusting in Him. Amen. It's that simple. And so when we think about what He says, rest. He says, "I am gentle, humble in heart." And as he says this, you will find rest for your souls. How many of us are anxious? Stress is the number one killer. It is causing so many of us to lose our hair. Amen. (laughs) Ain't number 33 years old. Hair gone. I used to have waves. I used to brush in 150 strokes a day. Believe wave cap and all, but God, but God had different plans. Amen. For your yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want y'all to hear that because we are so concerned. Will you go to Jesus? Will you come? Will you listen? Will you rest? Will you learn? That's so important because in that moment, what you see Nehemiah, what he does is he weeps, he laments, he mourns. We, we this day cannot lament because we're worrying about suppressing everything that we can do to get to the day to day. We don't even care for our own selves. This is self care. This is soul care. What he is doing here is actually allowing himself to cry before God. I just had a moment as we were singing how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Uh, What God began to do is make me think about, you don't have your mother no more, but I love you. You may not have enough in the bank account, but I love you. You may not be where you want to be, but I love you. You may be feeling some kind of way right now, but I love you. You may have a single parent home right now, but I love you. You may just lost your cousin because he got shot the other day, but I love you. You may have been going through serious afflictions. But I love you because they, his glory eclipsed him. God cares for us. It is so we should not suppress the feelings that we have, but we ought to go to him mourning and weeping and laying them before him because we know that he is the fixer. We know that he has the solution. And we know that in the middle of the wilderness, in the deep, dark valleys that God is with us, it was Robert McShaney, he said this, I could hear, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Do you believe God is making intercessions for you? That's what he says in Romans 8. That's what he says for his people. That as we groan on the inside, what is going on for us? What gives us that urge to want to do something? It is a gospel intuition. It's not just because you're so gifted. It's because God has given you a purpose. God has made you and created you in order to fulfill his redemptive plan. That's the narrative. You fit into the larger story. We're players in it. 
And so God's presence is powerful. And we need his presence because it is far more sufficient in moments of weakness. This is what we see Nehemiah in his weakness, in his brokenness. We see his God's grace being sufficient because he can't call on anybody else. He can't go to the king because the king doesn't care. Are you in the job where you can't even go to your boss because they don't care? You're trying to tell them about how the kids are acting, what the kids got going on at home, and how they got to come to school. Some kids got shoot holes in their shoes. They, they don't, they're wearing shorts to school because they don't have enough clothes. And you got other people who don't have enough food, and your boss doesn't want to hear that. They just want to see numbers. They want to see statistics. They want to see you execute. Isn't that frustrating? Nehemiah can't go to the king and ask him to intercede necessarily. God has to change the king's heart. And so we see Nehemiah going before God. Not only does he do that, but he fasts. A couple weeks ago, I talked about fasting because we've seen it in Ezra. And what's important for us to understand that this is a good spiritual discipline. Because what it does is it says to us that we are depriving ourselves of the very thing that we so desire. As simple as that, as I was saying. And but, but, but you don't do it just to lose weight. Okay, <laughs> some of us fast because okay, I'm a fast because I'm gonna lose a couple pounds. <laughs> but 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 fasting actually redirects your attention. Think about it. When you say I'm not going to eat this, you have to. As soon and everybody has this situation. As soon as you say okay, I'm giving up sugar, you go into the office. Somebody giving you a king size candy bar that you, that's never been on sale for the past three weeks that you've been looking for, right? Or somebody get oh you you want this cheesecake? I'm paying for lunch today. But what, when when that happens, you say no because your attention is directed to why you're doing it. When you're just doing it for a diet, you, you, you're just doing it to lose weight. But when you're doing it for God, you're doing it for His glory. And so when Nehemiah, as he fasts and as he prays, uh, you have to realize that he is actually depriving himself and denying himself the pleasures of his heart because he feels so overwhelmed. He feels broken. He feels de- devastated at this particular time. And as he is, I want to ask y'all the question. Because so many of us, we, we think about fasting and we think about praying, but how many times do we look at the news and we just shake our head? Do you ever fast for your neighborhood? Do you fast for your uh, co-workers? Do you fast for the person that you've been trying to believe that would come to faith? Do you fast that God will transform, that he will restore this community? Do you fast that he will change the city of Memphis? Do you fast that he will change the political landscape? Do you fast he will change what's happening globally? Do you fast for our brothers and sisters that are in North Africa? Do you fast for our brothers and sisters in Haiti? See what I'm saying? When you take that moment and you say, I'm going to give up whatever. So that my attention may be devoted to God on behalf of my brothers and sisters here. It goes deeper to how God begins to shape and mold you, but also how you think about other brothers brothers and sisters. You can't love others if you don't keep them at the forefront of your mind. Nehemiah is thinking about his brothers and sisters, but he's also aware of God's glory. He, he adores God. When you look at the next verse, when you look at the next verse in verse 5, he says, I said, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love. I want to stop right there. 
keeps his covenant and steadfast love. We all know and heard of the Hebrew word hesed. And this is a covenant word, a covenant language to the people of God in which he, he knows that as he appeals to God's hesed, what he is appealing to is that God will never leave his people. God is faithful to the covenants that he makes. Remember when he tries to wipe them out? What does uh, Moses say to God in uh, Exodus 33? Please, God, don't wipe out your people because this will be when you deliver them from evil, Egypt will look at this as it's been for nothing. According to your steadfast love and your mercies. That's what he that's what it's hinged upon. So here he's saying he's awestruck by God, his greatness. But then here it is that this love that overwhelms him so much so that he sees his brothers and sisters in affliction that he is pleading on their behalf. And so when he draws the attention to God, he's using the language from Deuteronomy 30 and, and chapter 30 and 28. And this language also echoes back. It's, I remember being taught how to pray the word of God. Sometimes we don't have enough words. When I was, a, when I first became a believer, I just, we, I went to a church, we used to read the King, King, King James Bible. We thought that was the Greek translation. <laughs> this thou and those others. Um, but I used to sit down, I would fall to my knees as a teenager because I, I really wasn't, I, I didn't have, I was still trying to understand. I, I remember I didn't grow up in the church, and I, but I, I felt somewhat of the weight and the gravity of my sin. I don't know what it was. And so I would fall to my knees and I would just read Psalm 51 and pray it. And I would just, I would just go to God and say, you know, I would say to Him, according to your steadfast love, according to the multitudes of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, remove my iniquities, cleanse my heart. You see what, you, you see what happens as you begin to pray God's word. You begin to take the words that you're crafting out of your mouth, and as you pray, you begin to say God's words right back to you. That's the most powerful words in America. God has a plan. And he's appointed downtown church. He's appointed every person that is here for his plan. He appointed Nehemiah to be the cupbearer, providentially. And because of that, he had influence. It wasn't consequential. I mean, consequential. It wasn't that he just, by happenstance, he wound there. But God had a purpose for Nehemiah. And his purpose was greater than protecting King Artaxerxes. I want y'all to see that. That this entire time, his job was to protect the king. But what's interesting, as God, changed, God allows him to see eventually how his job is actually to fulfill God's purpose and plan for the people of God. I think that's the same for downtown church. I think that's the same for Avenue Church. I think that's the same for those brothers and sisters who are continuously trying to fight for the economic justice and trying to create avenues for our brothers and sisters in this community. It is us getting back to the fact that God is faithful to us and his hesit applies. Therefore, we ought to extend that hesit to others. You see what I'm saying? He gives us that. He gives us that ability to do just that about how we've been impacted. I mean, if 
you are in moments of weeping, weeping, understanding the, the weight and the depth of your sins. It helps, it helps you in moments to see the needs of others. That's how it continues to compound. And so we don't need, you don't want to miss that. So we adore God through prayer, but then we also confess. And so the confession allows us to see how we are to cleanse our hearts and our minds. I remember a college student who would take his clothes to the laundry mask, uh, the laundry room. But he didn't know how to wash clothes, so he would just ball them all up. And he'd push them in the washing machine, and then after he took them out of the washing machine, he just put them in the dryer. But everything that was balled up never got cleansed. All of the outside stuff just had water and a little soap on it. But, what was going, but, but it still had a stench to it. What I want you all to understand is that confession is just like that. If we begin to suppress and if we don't confess to our Lord, if we don't necessarily go to him knowing that he is the one that can answer and he is the one that can comfort us, what we do is we ball all of our stuff up and we just put it before God on the washing machine, so to speak. And what's going on at the core is never cleansed. Because when we sit and we talk to the counselors, when we sit and we talk to our pastors, we only give them the surface. But think if you were to tell not only your pastor, but your community group leaders. What if you were to share with those brothers and sisters in your accountability groups? God knows. Because, and because he knows, he is able to cleanse you. I know this because God caught me up. I wasn't always saved, y'all. Just, just in case you didn't know that. I used to work at a place called Six Flags in St. Louis. Well, it's not in St. Louis, it's in Eureka. And they would take all of us city kids and they put us on a bus. And for some reason, we just drive all the way out. And this was, this was, I can't believe I worked so many hours for cheap labor. It was ridiculous. I'm so mad. <laughs> Reparations, excuse me. Um, I would, I would leave eight in the morning. We would all get on the bus and we had so much fun driving out because it was like an hour away. We would have so much fun on the bus. We would get to work at like 9.30. We wouldn't leave and get back home till 11 p.m. So that, 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 that tells you I worked at a place. I was scooping ice cream. But needless to say, one day Mike chose to do something that wasn't nice. I'm not going to tell y'all what I did. But I got caught. But I didn't know that I got caught. I didn't know the cameras were all over the place. <laughs> so they pulled me into the room and they said, listen, because I'm scooping ice cream, I'm thinking everything's fine. Yeah, I know. I'm singing. I'm doing my thing. All of that. And they said, oh, please, sir, could you please come with us? And I'm like, oh, okay, what, 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 what I need? And I start walking and I'm going to places that I had never been uh, in Six Flags. And I'm, I'm like, okay, where am I going? Uh, and, you know, kind of, on brother, I'm kind of getting scared. So, <laughs> so I'm so I, I walk in and uh, they, they walk me past this room where I see all of these cameras and then they send me in a room which is the tape recorder and they press the button and they say okay can you please tell us what happened <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about I don't know what happened if I wasn't involved <laughs> and so uh, he's like, are you sure about that absolutely <laughs> well y'all can't prove nothing <laughs> so I go back I'm doing my thing somebody pulled me along the side again and they said um Listen, uh, you, you probably need to tell the truth because Eureka Police Department can come out here and, and, and lock you up. I <laughs> said, so lock me, lock me up in Eureka? <laughs> I 
said, I said, let me go back to that room with that tape recorder real quick. And they began to tell me all of the cameras they had on the place. A camera in the in the clock that was small as a needle and a camera under the table. And I was like, all these cameras. And so then I was just like, listen, I did it. And uh, I put in my, I, you know, y'all don't even have to fire me. I quit. <laughs> So I never got fired. I just quit. <laughs> it was 4th of July. I went home and just shot fireworks at each other. But the point is that they knew already. I was trying to hide something that they already knew. How often do we try to hide things that God already knows? Look at what Nehemiah says. Let your ear be attentive. He knows that his ear is attentive. Your eyes open. He knows that God sees everything. It's not a new thing to God, but what he does is he says that I want to bring the sins of Israel and the sins of myself and the sins of my father's house before you, even though that I know that you see and hear absolutely everything. Confession is good for our hearts and our minds, and it sniffs out the pride and the arrogance. Because what's, what happens so often is we are able to see the wrongdoings in one another, but yet we cannot confess our own sins. Don't confess on someone else's behalf. That's why God is such a wonderful high priest because He's never confessed sin, He's never been sinful. But we ought to be able to take on the approach to understand that as we confess sin, it allows us in our accountability groups, in our, in our, uh, in our prayer groups, in our community groups, it allows us to be able to empathize with each other. It allows us to be able to understand where each other is in life, in stages. One of the things we've been talking about as community group leaders is... <clears throat> The ability to pray all together. All community groups praying on the same page. Also trying to do an intercessory prayer team where we're praying for the needs of our people. Do We, we have to understand that the power of prayer can restore our community. Amen. The power of prayer can restore our community. So we've we have to have a compassionate heart. We have to lament. We have to adore God. We have to confess sin. But we also, what we ought to do is remember God's promises. When we remember God's promises, we see Nehemiah recalling them. And I'm going to just move a little bit faster right now. Because as Nehemiah recalls his promises, what we see is that he is saying, God, you've been faithful to your people so much, so long. You said if we are unfaithful, you will scatter them all over the earth. Do you realize that if you're scattered, if Israel scattered, they have no power? And in Deuteronomy 28:64, he says that I will give you over to unknown, pretty much unknown gods, to the, to the wood stones and gods that your fathers have never known. That's scary for them. It should be scary for them because the only God that's delivered them and been close to them is the God of the heavens, is Yahweh. And so listen to what, as you listen to what he is saying, he's saying that we're no good together. We're no good scattered all over the place. Bring us together. Now, this has an eschatological perspective, but I won't go into that. But it also has a perspective in which when he gathers them, he's actually pulling the people of God together in order to do the work. That's what eventually he gets to. He is praying that you bring them from near and far. Y'all missed that. God scatters them, but they're not too far away to get away from him gathering them. Because he says, look at what he says in verse 9. At the latter part, 
From there, I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen. God already has a place. God already has a purpose and a plan. So as we remember this, we understand that even as a community, we're no good fragmented. We're no good disunified. We're no good pointing the finger at one another. We're best as we gather together in the local assembly. That's a pitch to, if you have been visiting downtown, please come and learn more about it. Learn more about how to be a part of this body and serve. Because what we want to do is mobilize emerging leaders so that we can affect change in our city for the glory of God. Amen, somebody. Remember that God is a good shepherd who leads, who feeds and protects his sheep. And so even in moments in which he scattered us, he is also a God who can call us near. There was one moment I played sports and I watched a lot of sports. And uh, I seen one of the most gruesome things is when a, uh, a bone pops out of the leg, out of, breaks the skin. And you think that it's just, it's just not repairable. You can't, it's, it's, he's messed up for the entire, his entire career and his life. But yet medical doctors say that actually when it's broken, it comes together better. It actually begins to fix itself. And so the aspect of it being broken is not that that's the problem. It's if it's getting the right attention. Y'all may not be hearing me. We may be a broken, fragmented people. But God is not far. He is near. And as he is, he is always able to mend the brokenness amongst us. So as we think about prayer in our community, and we think about what it means to be be a part of what God is doing, the restoration happens when we sit down. Pray with me. Father, we thank you and we love you. We bless you because you are a holy and righteous God, and that there is none like you throughout the heavens and the earth. And as you restore this community, as you restore your people, I pray, God, that you begin to do a work in our hearts that helps us to see how much you love us, to help us to see how much you care about us. And as you do, Lord, I pray that we just fall to our knees. We sit down humbly before God who loves us. Help us to give our offerings to you, our best, in praise and in our tithes and offering as well. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say